You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He take off all those precious gems, the gold plate, all the glorious clothing. And he went in in plain, ordinary linen garments. You don't have to dig too deep for a message there. Philippians 2 tells us our great high priest humbled himself. You talk about humbling. He came from glory. He came from eternity and disrobed himself, if you will and became just like you and me. While many of us would agree that the book of Leviticus is rather difficult to read, there are countless treasures within its pages. These treasures, of course, are none other than types, metaphors, and illusions of our Savior Jesus. As Pastor Danny will teach you in his message today, there are several illustrations in this book that point us to the role of Christ. In his study, you'll learn how even the humbling act of Christ becoming a man was foreshadowed in the rituals of the high priest. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, as he continues his message, The Day of Atonement. What's the truth of Leviticus chapter 16? Here's the first one. We can only approach God on his terms. That's how the chapter started off. We've seen it before. We saw it in chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu. But here it is again. Tell your brother Aaron, verse 2, not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover. And then, of course, throughout the passage. Uh, If it's not on God's terms, it's not pleasing incense, and Aaron is toast. And of course, anybody that tries to come on their own terms. Jesus put it this way, John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was so bummed. This is not in my notes. Pops into my mind. I trust this the Lord putting it on my mind. I'm backstage uh, between one of the services this weekend and talking to some of the band members. And um, I forget how we got on it. We got talking about some, you know, old rock and rollers that supposedly had become Christians. And, and some have. And uh, Rick Wakeman used to be with Yes. Remember, he was the organist, you know? I mean, I love that organ. And... Um, For years now, I've understood that Rick Wakeman um, had become a Christian. And I read an article while we were backstage, because we were talking, and I read an article I hadn't read before, and evidently, when he did commit his life to Christ, he went back to his roots. So he had some roots in the family of Christianity. But I read this article, and I was so bummed. Because what uh, was in part of the article 
he was being questioned. Uh, you know, it was one of those question interviews and here's the question and Rick Wakeman answers it. And one of the questions was, well, what about your friend Cat Stevens when he converted to Islam? Did you tell Cat Stevens no Christianity is the way to go? And Rick Waitman's response was, uh, well, no, you know, because Cat Stevens found faith. That's what he found. He found, and I was happy for him because he found faith. And in the article, Rick Wakeman said, look, it's one God, and he's the same God, but there are a lot of different ways to get to him. And now every time I listen to Roundabout, and that organ, <laughs> I'm going to go, Rick, what are you doing, man? That's not the truth. It's just not the truth. We only approach God on his terms. There is only one God. And there are not many ways to get to him. There's one way. That's the truth. And we don't want to say it arrogantly or self-righteously, but any other message will not get him into the presence of God. We also learn from Leviticus 16, man's tremendous need for cleansing from sin. In another discussion backstage this past weekend, boy, we got a lot covered this past weekend backstage. Another band member was telling me uh, how he, he's had these opportunities, and I knew it, to go and share and do Bible studies and things and speak and share Christ. Uh, and he was invited, I think he's going this week, but anyway, very soon, to a local ministry. And I, won't, I, I almost was going to give you the name of the leader. I, I almost think I should, because I know him. But we're not close or anything, but it's a local ministry, been around for a long time. It reaches out to... Uh, people on the streets and people with addictions and stuff. And um, <laughs> Steve invited to go and speak uh, at this ministry in one of their meetings. And the leader said, now when you come, don't talk about sin. And of course, I gave my uh, friendly advice to Steve on what to say. Hey, I'm just going to tell the truth. Or, you know, you, got, you invited the wrong guy. Invited the wrong guy. That's like the, the, the rabbi, Jewish rabbi lady that called me when we were sharing a memorial service for someone uh, that had died connected with our fellowship here. And there was family members and the, the Jewish side of things. And, and uh, she called me and said, it'd be good if you wouldn't mention Jesus and you're part of the service. <laughs> I was kind. I was kind. You'd have been proud of me. I was kind. But I didn't back down. Hey, no, no, not for, for the Lord. I mean, come on. But listen, hey, you know how many places there are now professing Christians and even churches and pastors, and they don't want to talk about sin? I love what Vance Habner said. I don't know if you guys remember Vance Habner. He's with the Lord now, but Vance Habner said, we're trying to get young people in the day uh, to say, here am I, send me, without first saying, woe is me. Isaiah 6. Isaiah first said, woe is me, and he saw how sinful he was next to the, the king that he saw high and lifted up. And it was after that he realized his own tremendous need for cleansing. Woe is me, he said, I'm a man, I'm done. And until we come to the place we realize, listen, 
I was thinking tonight as we were singing, some of the words were so rich in light of what we're studying tonight. And I was saying, even for myself, do we really appreciate how much God has done for us? I mean, the cleansing. You read that chapter and it's just, you realize if you, if you listen carefully in reading Leviticus 16, I mean, the need for cleansing, the tremendous need for cleansing, and the consequences of not being cleansed and not coming on God's terms. Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. Isaiah, Isaiah, here's what God said through Isaiah. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I did a fresh look up on the computer. I already knew it, but I just wanted to make sure that I was, it, it, it was the same. The word in the, in the Hebrew for the filthy rags, translated filthy rags, it's a woman's monthly cloth for a period. I'm not trying to be off color. That's just, that's what God's saying. The best we can do. The best we can do. That's what it is. We also learn uh, in Leviticus 16 the insufficiency of the old covenant. I hope you understand. I, I don't assume you understand, but Hebrews uh, is the New Testament counterpart book to the old covenant. Are you with me? And um, Hebrews chapter 9 uh, starts out and talks about the Old Testament tabernacle, regulations for worship, and all the things in the tabernacle. Then verse 6 says, when everything had been arranged, uh, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and never without blood. Another verse says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. What's that way? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. As long as the first tabernacle was still standing. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. It also teaches us the insufficiency of the Aaronic priesthood. Remember the text at the end said, when Aaron's gone, his descendant takes over. Then when that one's gone, the next one takes over. And it was endless, endless priestly responsibility. Uh, but the sacrifices just kept on and on and on. Hebrews chapter 7 makes it very clear, and I'm not going to read the whole section there. Uh, but verse 11 said, if, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, uh, why was there still need for another priest to come? And the chapter starts out talking about this mysterious figure, Melchizedek. Remember him? Genesis. Abraham comes back from the victory over the kings that had kidnapped his nephew Lot. God gives him the victory, and as he comes back after the victory, this mysterious king of Salem and king of peace He's a priest. His name's Melchizedek. But it says his priesthood, he's without beginning of days or end of life. He brings out bread and wine. Some people say he's a type of Christ. I'm convinced he's Christ. He's Christ. But if you want to say he's a type of Christ, still the same message. 
Melchizedek, without beginning of days or end of life. Chapter seven opens about Melchizedek, then it goes back to talking about the insufficiency of the Aaronic priesthood. If the Levitical priesthood was good enough, could bring perfection, why did another priest have to come? Verse 14, Hebrews 7, it's clear that our Lord descended from Judah, not from Levi. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, Psalm 110.4, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, and a better hope is introduced. Let me just read that last little section. Christ, verse 26, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of people. This people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Once for all when he offered himself. We learn in Leviticus 16 about our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And you might find more things. I'm going to give you three you learn from Leviticus 16. Here's the first one. He alone did the work. God was very careful to tell us in the first part of chapter 16, verse 17, nobody else was to be in that most holy place when Aaron comes in to do the work. Nobody else. It's his work alone. Anybody else with him would have violated God's prescription. He alone did the work. John 17, 19, Jesus said, for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Remember Revelation, of course, we're studying it. Stop weeping, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. He alone is worthy. No one else on the earth, above the earth, under the earth, in the heavens, nowhere, nowhere. Jesus alone. He alone did the work. Then in Leviticus 16, and I went through it fairly quickly, so you might not have caught it, but we learn about the humility. You see, because I didn't say it, but Hebrews tells us that the law was a shadow. So all those things in Leviticus 16 and the Old Testament economy are shadows of a new covenant. We have a different priesthood, not an Aaronic priesthood. We have Christ, our high priest. His humility. Where do you see his humility? The garments of the high priest. You saw them weeks ago in our study of the tabernacle when I went through all the pieces of the tabernacle and talked about the message in the tabernacle. It's all the gospel. It's all Christ. On his headpiece, he had a gold plate worn on the forehead. He had two onyx stones on the garment that was over his garment the ephod it was called, two onyx stones with the six names of the tribe of Israel on each side, six on one side, six on the other. He had 12 precious stones, precious gems on the breast piece, sardix, carbuncle, emerald, sapphire, diamond, amethyst, beryl, onyx, jasper, etc. I mean, these are, these are priceless stones. 
He had a golden sash, a golden sash. He had an ephod that was embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet and gold. It was heavenly glory. Those were the colors. That's what it meant, heavenly glory. He had golden bells and pomegranates down on the bottom of his robe. That was not only uh, just for looks. They say that you could listen when the high priest was doing his ministry on the Day of Atonement, and if you stopped hearing the bells, he's in trouble. I don't know if we have it in writing, proof anywhere, but they say uh, a Jewish tradition is that they would actually tie a rope onto one of the legs of the high priest so that if it wasn't acceptable, he didn't do it in the prescribed way, all right, and God took his life like Nadab and Abihu, they were able to pull him out without somebody else going in and dying. Anyway, back to the point. The point is, in Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement, Before Aaron, the high priest would go in and do his ministry in the most holy place, he'd take off all those precious gems, the gold plate, all the glorious clothing, and he went in in plain, ordinary linen garments. You don't have to dig too deep for a message there. Philippians 2 tells us our great high priest humbled himself. You talk about humbling. He came from glory. He came from eternity and disrobed himself, if you will, and became just like you and me. Man, what a savior. Second Corinthians 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then you learn from Leviticus 16, his exaltation. You know what he did after he completed his ministry there in the most holy place? He came back out and he put back on those glorious garments. And what did Christ do? After the cross? Let me give you his prayer. John chapter 17, verse 5. Now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I love the word of God. Well, winding down, we learn about the completed work of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time... One sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit testifies about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them after that time. I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember No more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. He sat down. John's gospel tells us that when Jesus breathed his last, or just before he breathed his last on the cross, the last three words, you know what he said? It is finished. Finished. It's the word to telestai. 
in the Greek. Uh, they would actually uh, stamp receipts sometimes in the ancient world to telestai, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. We learn from Leviticus 16 too, There was no perfect righteousness under that old covenant. What did I just read? Because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Perfect righteousness despite practical imperfection. Man, I appreciate that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Still blows my mind that I can stand here and say, I can stand here and say, I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ is righteous. So wait a minute, I know you. Perfect righteousness despite practical imperfection. I'm righteous by faith. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the only way that can happen is by taking the righteousness that is by faith in the work Jesus has done, not anything I have done or you have done. I could do a whole message on this one. Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. <laughs> Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That, the idea is if you keep going east, you never meet west. That's the idea. It's, it's an infinity. That's the idea of that verse. As far as the east is from the west. That scapegoat's gone. You'll never see him again. You talk about a, a goat of departure. The cross was our goat of departure. Isaiah 38, 17, you put all my sins behind your back. Jeremiah 31, 34, I'll forgive their wickedness, remember their sins no more. I quoted that again in Hebrews. Uh, Micah 7, 19, you'll tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Corey Tim Boone took that verse and said, God says, where these, you've been forgiven, God casts your sin into the deepest sea, and he puts up a sign, no fishing allowed. <laughs> Acts 13, 38 and 39, therefore I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who, who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. I'll give you one more. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And I got one more and I'm done. 24-7 access to the Father. 24-7. Under the old economy, Aaron, the high priest, he's the only one that could go into the most holy place. He only goes in there once a year and just long enough to get the job done. Matthew 27 tells us when Jesus breathed his last, the curtain in the temple, and it's the one that separated the holy place from the most holy place. It was torn from top to bottom. Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, 
Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's good stuff. We're so glad you joined us today on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You're also invited to join our Bible reading plan. Just look under the resources tab on our website for more information. This is a great way to dive into the Word. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? Everyone deserves the chance to be changed by the love of Christ, so please pray that anyone listening remains open to hearing the gospel message. Pray for soft hearts to receive the grace that Jesus has for all. Please pray also for us, that we'd continue seeking God's will for this program, and that we'd have the courage to follow Him wherever He might lead. As you pray, please consider if God would lead you to support us financially in some capacity. If you'd like to partner with us in this way, please visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Thanks for praying with and for us. How can we pray for you? Let us know by emailing us at info at ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for tuning in for The Living Word. 